0: Hello and welcome to Into the Aether, it's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, welcome hey. to our review of the new Gucci album, USA. It's good, 10 out of 10. Moving on to Outer Worlds, a video game we have both been playing. Well, it's
1: not Meow, I'll say that much. I actually didn't know they had a new album, that's cool. Dude, it's so good. Yeah? Yeah, did you like their last time. one, uh, Capsule Silence? Oh God, I haven't listened to them in a very long time. I listened to the EP in like 2009. Right? Okay uh what was it called it looked like a Mega Man boss on the cover uh i don't remember sunset yeah yeah it's been a while oh yeah. helix nebula that helix the, nebula yeah and then yeah, there was uh,
0: endless fantasy which was <coughs> awesome uh that's the that one that had meow on it
1: yeah yes yes
0: and then there was capsule silence which was after that which was a little bit spacier a little less uh a little less endless fantasy helix nebula kind of vibes and this one usa is like a perfect blend of everything they've ever done it's really good. cool. You should listen to Check it. Check it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a song on there called Sunset by Plane that could so easily have been on the Sinara Wildheart soundtrack that every time oh. I listen to it, I just skip over the Sinara Wildheart soundtrack and I listen to that all the way through.
1: That's huge praise. It's enough to sell me on it because yeah. I've listened to the, to the Sinara Wildheart soundtrack quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it's really good. I've been listening to a lot of uh, 2019 game soundtracks recently. I've been listening to that one. I've been listening to the Outer Wilds one, which is a game that I've been playing that you have not yet, but will, uh, if you know it's good for you. Um, Short Hike has good music. Short Hike, great music. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that one's on Spotify. I haven't checked, but I know the other Uh, two are.
1: Fire Emblem Three Houses. Have you heard of it? It's got good music. I haven't heard of it. Tell me about it. Get this. You're a professor at a school and uh, there are three different cl- three different houses. I almost said classes. <laughs> Fire them <emblem>, Three classes. <laughs> Math, science, and gym. <laughs> Which will you choose? Gym class. I'm declaring war on English class. I just want to play sports, teach. Wow. This sucks. Huh? No, I just love that. That was great. Yeah, it's my f- fan fiction, I guess. Yeah, I could have thought of much better. Yeah. Well, this is my first draft. I'll work on it. Yeah. For uh, next month's newsletter. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus.
0: Um, You want to talk about uh, Outer World Worlds? Outer Worlds.
1: Yes. Yes. I would love to. It's very to.
0: confusing. I mean, this is the least interesting or new take, but it is very wild that a game called Outer Wilds came out right around a game called Outer Worlds. Truly a bummer. But both games are great.
1: Yeah, I I've not played Outer Worlds yet, but I had played Outer Worlds, which we will be talking about. Um I've streamed it a bit. Um and I'm really really loving it. Uh not no surprises if you've watched any of the streams because most of the streams me being like, "Wow, I really like this game because I love it." Anyway, yeah. thanks for watching. I'm uh, a little surprised honestly because you seemed a little bit
0: lukewarm on it until it came out and then you got your hands yes, on it. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh my journey to love here, uh which is my first debut ep in a while uh i've been Uh kind of mia for a bit but my journey to loving this game has been interesting um and it's also so basically to get things started i'd love to talk about both of our experiences with the game itself and with the fallout series because there's a lot of uh, both similarities and a lot of people working on this game that worked on fallout in the past most notably the directors of outer worlds were both key designers uh and developers for the original fallout game yeah so and it's developed by obsidian who made new vegas um i for some reason originally thought that obsidian made fallout originally but it was interplay um and then obsidian just did new vegas and obsidian actually has had a interesting history of just doing video game sequels for a while That the inverse Pixar for a bit, where their philosophy (laughs) was like, we want to play inside someone else's world and kind of see what we can do with it. Um, Can I wait? Can I? Can I? Can we take a little uh, detour on that point, real quick? Please, I brought. I just brought up a lot of stuff, and I'm just trying to organize my thoughts. I'm very excited to talk about this. Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I just this is like only tangentially
0: related to video games, but that's an interesting thing about Obsidian that I didn't know. Um, A thing that I've been thinking about a lot. Is, is this idea that, like, every movie that comes out is a, is a franchise or, like, an old IP or something and, like, that yeah. that's bad in some way, shape, or form. Yes, it's great to have new and original stuff, obviously, and that stuff should get greenlit and made and whatever, but I really enjoy the idea of, like, taking all of these old properties, like... Uh, I oh, So like Home Alone, for example, they announced is getting, I think, remade on Disney Plus or something. Uh, hi, I'm an employee at Disney, by the way. Uh, another thing that I say is, I don't know, y- you get it, you know the legal thing. Um. You anyway, yeah. Anyway, they announced that they're uh, remaking Home Alone, and people were like, "Oh, they're gonna ruin Home Alone." It's like there's been okay, five. Have you seen Home Alone? Have you seen Home
1: Alone three? The dude, <laughs> the kid has chicken pox, and his family just leaves him, and his toy has a, a important computer chip in it. So then French Stewart comes in and tries to take it. Right. Him from exactly. Exactly. You're- oh wait, no. I think. Um, You know what? Uh, Please, I'm so sorry. French Stewart was in Home Alone 4. Shit, shit, shit,
0: shit, shit, shit. But that's the point. That's the point. There are more
1: than two Home Alone movies
0: is the the point I'm trying to make. Home Alone has been ruined Not talk more about French Stewart? Is that not your goal? The point is French Stewart (laughs) is an icon, and I think we should erase someone from Mount Rushmore and put him in it.
1: The fucking image of Mount Rushmore <laughs> with Teddy Roosevelt gone and French Stewart in his place is haunting. Truly. Nothing oh. against French, but like, you know, a strange pick for Mount Rushmore. I'll be the first to point it out. Um. Anyway. What I like about the idea of them remaking, I need to process this event. The
0: idea of them remaking Home Alone to me yes, just yes, means yes, that yes. some creator out there is going to get the opportunity to make a thing <laughs> that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to make before. And it's like they're just going to get handed the Home Alone property and say, do whatever you want with it. And you can do anything in there, you can have a lot of fun with that. And if that works out for you, then you can move on to go and make like better, cooler, greater things yeah. and maybe even make your own original content. Like I love the idea of being handed somebody else's world and being able to like fuck around in that. And I love that obsidian like wholly loves that. And now has yeah. moved past that and are making something for themselves without a world. I think that's yeah, a really cool. art. I, th- I
1: think there's a balance and I think it's also, um, you know, I think, <clears throat> I think you're right. I think sometimes the discussion becomes uh, sequels and spin-offs are inherently bad. And, and I get that because that's sort of like what the what media defaults to sometimes out of fear that original ideas won't make as much money. Yeah. But I think there's a balance. And I think that Obsidian has shown that their philosophy works for them. Uh, all the games they've made are pretty great, uh, at least that I've played. Yeah. Um, they're known for making Night Seal of Republic 2. Uh, following Bioware who made the first one that game is fantastic they made uh, New Vegas most notably after Bethesda made Fallout 3 which I'll talk more about as we talk about Outer Worlds um, because that's the closest parallel here Mm -hmm. Um, and now they're making their own games uh, Outer Worlds kind of being I think the one that had the most spotlight on it I think there was one or two before uh, but nothing that was like set up to succeed as much as this one has been Right. so yeah so that's uh so Outer Worlds developed by Obsidian and it's directed by uh two people who worked on the original Fallout. So um there's a very 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 strong Fallout influence and I'll get into that. Um and I'll also talk about kind of my experience with the Fallout series because chances are if you're like me and you pick this game up it's because it's like, oh, someone other than Bethesda is trying out a new Fallout game. That's kind of how it's been like talked about. Yeah. Not as much now that it's out and people have played it, but leading up to it, it was like Obsidians making their own Fallout game. Um yeah. and to be honest, that's why I was kinda neutral on it. Cause I'm like, well, it sounds cool. I really like New Vegas, but I it, it just there wasn't anything in the marketing that like distinguished itself two separately from Fallout, other than the fact that you're not like walking around in pure garbage constantly (laughs) you're in space right um so we'll we'll get into that because that's something that i will uh reveal in my journey to love Uh, my journey to loving the outer worlds try to get into it uh well you know what why don't we talk about fallout first both of our experiences with those games and then we'll talk about how we're both liking outer worlds how does that work for you yeah absolutely um So Fallout 1 uh, came out in 1997, uh, Fallout 2 shortly after, and Fallout 2 is the game that a lot of people kind of highlight in the series as being the definitive one. You could argue what the definitive game is, but at least a lot of the hardcore fans I know kind of pointed to as being the pinnacle of player choice and like countless amount of dialogue options. I mean, the game is a uh, very old school. I guess the term would be CRPG. Um, it's kind of an isometric view of an environment. You click to move your player character around. I played like maybe an hour of Fallout 2 on Steam. I don't think my computer could really run it, uh, oddly enough. It's not a demanding game. but some <laughs> There was some weird technical obstacle that prevented me from getting into it. Yeah. But like... Fallout. truth be told, Fallout 2 is like even a little bit before my time. Like that's something that I think I would have to really like. I don't really anything that's like more archaic than Morrowind. I have to really like buckle down and and get used to. Yeah. Um, And then I do trust that if I did get used to Fallout 2, I'd probably really love it. Knowing knowing the RPGs that I gravitate towards. Um, Have you played one or two at all? I haven't. But uh, you and I have a mutual
0: friend who talked about those games a lot. Uh, and they yes. always sounded really, really great. <laughs> yeah. um, I just never really felt compelled to go back and check them out.
1: Sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot with Final Fantasy VII, which, you know, thank whatever deities out there you've played and enjoyed, which just makes me so happy. But mm-hmm. that's another <laughs> game where it's like, you know, if you didn't play that when that came out, there there is a lot of archaic stuff to get past. So like, that's totally fair to yeah. like, it's not to like dunk on the game for, but it just sort of the reality of where games are at now and where they were then and, and how willing are you to work past certain things to enjoy what people enjoyed back then. What are you laughing yeah. at? Laughing <laughs> <laughs> at French Stewart on Mount Rushmore again. Sorry.
0: <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. Of,
1: <laughs> we had to edit out like 20 minutes of me like in, in a coma, basically. That was <laughs> such a weird image. I had to mentally process. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Ball out. Don't, don't apologize. Uh. So... Fallout three was I think probably most people's introduction to the series that's when Bethesda uh, acquired the property from interplay um and that was also the first I think there's like there's like a close to ten year difference uh between Fallout 2 and and Fallout three so it's mm-hmm. it was like a really big deal when it came out um year after oblivion our our muse um yeah oh so like Bethesda was kind of that um, actually, I would probably consider Skyrim the peak of their open world RPG dominance. But um, Fallout Three wasn't too far behind. Fallout Three was a really big deal when it came out. Um, and introduced a lot of people to the series. Uh, it, the The scale of the game it, it, just as soon as you make your character, it begins with your character being born. You know, yeah. and Liam Neeson's your dad. And what a wild uh, opening that game had, yeah. <laughs> right? So the ambitions of the game were like, we're gonna like the scale has already said that this is going to be like a very uh epic adventure yeah uh epic in the classic sense of like you know you're starting from like literal home and and venturing outwards mm-hmm. um and the setup of three is like one of my favorite uh intros in a game like i, I honestly think it pays off we'll talk more about like a plot on the rails stuff but i think like Growing up in the vaults and having Liam Neeson as your dad and then eventually leaving the vaults in whatever fashion you want to and embarking on the wasteland like that, that part of Fallout 3, I think, is very effective for yeah. setting the yeah, setting I up the rest of the agree. game. I completely
0: agree. I as somebody who um, does not like Fallout 3 very much, I love that opening. Uh, yeah, th- that that was like so compelling. And I think a lot of the reason I played as much of that game is I did was mainly because of how propelling that first hour or so was yeah because um, i i had such a incredible sense of place um in a way that i really didn't the more i explored that that literal actual sure. wasteland yeah
1: and and again also uh for people unfamiliar with fallout it is a rpg where the world is a very post-apocalyptic setting um, the thing that makes it unique in that regard is that it's actually in the future. Like it's it's the year 21, whatever. Um, but technology stopped in the Cold War. So like, yeah, bombs dropped, I think, between a war uh, between U.S. and China. And like the whole world is like in a radiated wasteland. But, you know, society has kind of rebuilt and moved on. And it has like a lot of things are like placeholders for sort of like a and d a mindset like you know the brotherhood of steel which are like paladins that like wear you know tires on their shoulders and have like mini guns they're like paladins yeah um the super mutants are very like much like orcs so there's there's like rings of fantasy throughout the world but like it's very much in a dusty garbage filled wasteland um and that's something that you and i talked about of of being too effective and making the world like just hopeless to be around and, and can yeah. alienate the player in that way. Yeah. To, to um, clarify
0: why I didn't like fallout three, it was 1000%. Uh, that's a, that's such a podcaster thing to say. I'm sorry. 1000%. I don't know why that's such a thing. Anyway. Uh, I just really, really, really it did just, not it didn't even it.
1: compare to my Casper mattress. And I was like, fuck it. If it's not Casper, I'm not going to waste my time on it. Absolutely. Anyway. Use promo code
0: uh, aether. Yeah but you have to use the one where the a and the e are connected um i don't know how to type that on a keyboard anyway i don't like that world
1: (laughs) (laughs) um i liked fallout 3 more than you did i definitely share i i'm definitely more uh into i mean we played oblivion together and there's a point in that stream uh where we play as our argonian friend who's just jogging topless in the woods and we pass like a few minutes horrors and like there's a sunset that looks like a like Lisa Frank folder it's just beautiful like everything yeah. is so uh and that's subjective like that's totally subjective um you might very well and I think uh, again subjectively you might prefer the the sort of edgy setting of Fallout 3 and I think too when that game came out that was in 2007 the zeitgeist at that time I always think of like it actually might have been pre uh Batman Nolan trilogy but like it was gearing up to like everything was kind of like a harsh, gritty reboot of something else. Like everything kind of had a right. realism. Every game edge to it
0: was like uh, the 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 thing everybody always says is like every single game had a coffee filter on it.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it was yeah, all green, gray, green and black, yeah, browns, um, even like kind of dark navy blues, but like in such a way where it was it was desaturated and like a bummer. Um, yeah just every game was that like that was that was what was quote unquote realism at the time and that like really struck me with Fallout 3 um cuz it was like around the same time frame as Call of Duty 4 and and you know yes. that whole uh, And BioShock that. Uh,
1: Although BioShock had a bit more of an interesting palette to it visually Oh yeah um, but there was still there was still that sense of dystopia and like a fallen society mm-hmm. um we should talk about BioShock one day that'd be fun Dude um, I would love nothing more than to replay BioShock and talk about that yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Anyway, Especially just, in
0: 2019.
1: You know, yeah, for sure. Or 20. Um, hey. Who knows what it will call it. Probably new, 20. It's like two weeks left of 2019. <laughs> new decade, new um, me. And we both might check out Death Stranding, which will consume whatever of the years left. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, Uh. so I liked Fallout 3 a lot when it came out. Um. I loved Oblivion and still do. And so like I had that going for me because... It's oddly the same engine, even though it's a completely different world and a completely different vibe, um, but you still have the zoom in to the faces. And like, honestly, in a weird way, Fallout 3 is almost more of a hardcore RPG than Oblivion is in terms of like the amount of stats you can invest in and the amount of freedom you have to role play. Yeah. Um, another big thing that was popular when Fallout 3 came out, <clears throat> excuse me was the morality systems. Uh, I believe Infamous was around the same time too, where you could be good or evil. Uh, um, Fable did that as well. Um, so there's a karma system in Fallout 3 where like you would get good karma for doing good things and negative karma for doing bad things. And if you were good, evil, or neutral, uh, the radio host, 3Dog, would like comment on you differently on the radio station, which yeah. I really liked. And I think I bring that up because my favorite thing about Fallout 3 was that The world recognized you for your actions. Um, And I think that that was a really cool way to invest yourself in the world. I eventually bounced because of reasons you bounced earlier. Um, But I think Fallout 3 is a great game. And I think it was a really good introduction to the series. Um, I actually know a lot of people who are big Fallout fans that are kind of divided on three. Um, From what I know, Bethesda acquiring the series, they retconned a lot of the lore. Which I don't know specifics about, but yeah. like, you know, the the story of three and and the whole like every every side quest, every main plot in three is, is about survival. Every character is trying to survive. Um, and in that way, I I didn't fully register that this was far into the future. A lot of the world of Fallout Three feels like the bombs just dropped and like people are really just making do in the aftermath. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which will bring us to Fallout New Vegas. Um, have you played New Vegas? I played
0: a little bit of New Vegas and then bounced um, early on. I think like I did. I, I just don't think I gave it the time I really should have. Uh, yeah. Knowing what I know now about why people love that game, I think I really should have given it more time because uh, I probably put like an hour or maybe two into it and then said to myself, I didn't like Fallout 3. Why would I like a sequel to that? Um, and then moved on to something else, I'm sure. Yeah. Um. So but yeah, I would love to hear about it because every time I've heard people talk about it, it just sounds like a game that I would love.
1: Yeah, so uh, so New Vegas came out not too. I think it came out in 2010, it, or it was just a few years after Three, um, and it was developed by Obsidian, published by Bethesda. So Obsidian was kind of making do with their philosophy of like making good sequels, <laughs> which I love. I, I also didn't know that was a thing until I looked it up recently. Uh, but I, I I do like think there's there's a lot of merit to that as you discussed earlier. Anyway, uh, Beth- uh excuse me, Obsidian made New Vegas and i really like new vegas it plays very similarly to fallout 3 but the key difference is that there's more of a world to explore um the premise of new vegas is that the vegas strip is one of the few cities or parts of a city in america that survived the bombs Mm -hmm. because this character mr house who is now he's ancient his body is like cryogenically frozen and like a deep basement somewhere guarded by machines that he operates with his brain um <laughs> okay but you just see him on screens like in his apartment he's on a big screen kind of like big brother um yeah there's like a drawing of this dude with a mustache and a bunch of robots run around and they have his face and his name is mr house um and he was just a powerful figure i don't know his, his exact role for vegas but he basically like in his calculations saw that nuclear war was basically inevitable. So he prepared the Vegas strip for that Mm -hmm. and endured it. So, um, you're in a similar ish wasteland in new Vegas, but it feels, it doesn't feel as like, like fall three feels like you're walking through a giant, like just pile of garbage. Yeah, (laughs) You know, like everything is dusty and gray. New Vegas has a little bit more life to it. It feels like you're in sort of like a wild west kind of setting and in the distance you see the vegas lights you see this society that still is standing, and that's a major plot of the game is apparently the hoover dam uh either has power or has the capability of having power again Mm. so all the big factions are fighting over who gets to control the hoover dam cool interesting Um, yeah and so then there's a shift from just being good or evil and and a closer focus on what's your reputation with all these various factions and you get all shapes and sizes. Uh, Mr. Hallis is like the kind of neutral option where like he, he, he's sort of like it ends justify the means Edelgard character where his methods are kind of morally gray, but like he has the interest of the city at, at the highest peak. I mean, mm. he's the reason that the city is still alive. Right. So I enjoyed his quest line. I, I allied myself with him. So in the a plot, it begins with uh, this like gambler dude trying to kill you for reasons unknown. He shoots you in the head and you wake up and this doctor has revived you. So I think someone at Obsidian said that they wanted this game to begin with your death to counter Fallout 3's beginning with your birth. which is kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Really cool. So um, the A plot of, of New Vegas is just finding the dude who tried to kill you. And like that can mean as little or as much to you as you want it to. But by doing that, you'll end up meeting the three main factions that are that are trying to control the Hoover Dam. One is the NCR, or the New California Republic, um, and they're the closest thing to the good guys. They are trying just to kind of bring back sort of a free democracy for this region. They're a little bit scattered, they're a little bit uh, spread thin, so they're not quite as powerful as some of their factions. But like those are those are the good guys. Cause your other option is Caesar's Legion who crucifies people and like <laughs> burns cities to the ground and enslaves people. And it's just the worst. Uh-huh. Um, your third option is Mr. House. Um, who's the neutral one. Uh, and your fourth option is to say, I don't want to ally with any of you. I'm going to do this on my own. And you could turn against all of them, um, which is really interesting. So like uh, how that story plays out. And that's, I think worth pointing out with this game because Obsidian made it, and it definitely applies to Outer Worlds, there are so many variables accounted for. It feels like the the rails of the A-plot are so loose. Like, there's enough incentive that you might be interested in following it, but you could really navigate this world however you like, and it there's so much writing to back up your choice as authentic. And that's something that I really like in a game. We talk about that a lot with Three Houses. Yeah. We talk about it a lot with, with uh, other RPGs. Um, but New Vegas is, is a pinnacle example of that. And I think above that, too, it's an interesting world. There are so many interesting towns that that really overshadow a lot of the settlements in Fallout 3. Like Fallout 3 had the forest with the tree who like there's a guy who turned into a tree that had a cult worshipping him and he was slowly regrowing nature like that was great. And there were a few like, you know, outlying cases of interesting settings. But most of the time it was like, you know, just a town of people trying to make do. Which is not super compelling. Uh, New Vegas, you have an airport base owned by people who are good hearted, but they just shoot bazookas at whoever is near unless you have like a flare gun.
0: That's what I do also. That's why I live out outside of New York, because like if you do that in New York, there's like a lot there's a lot of uh, contention in terms of like skyline and all that kind of stuff. Like I just have like it's big sky country out here. You know what I mean? I can kind of do whatever I want with my bazookas. Right.
1: So you fit right in. Um, I fit right in. Yeah. I take it back. I should be is, playing that game. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's basically uh, Stardew Valley for you. Shit. Um, so in Fallout Three, there's a town where uh, someone who thinks they're a superhero called the Mechanic, and someone who thinks they're a supervillain named the Antagonist, who's a big ant. They're oh like my constantly. <laughs> they're constantly doing uh, these things that just just annoy the town. Like the town is kind of well off, and they're like, "Can you just take care of these people who think they're superheroes?" Um, that's in fallout 3 and that's my favorite fallout town by far so there are that in the republic of dave a plus the more i say it there are some cool settings in three but new vegas just kind of doubled down on that mm-hmm. so like every town you find has something really interesting going on and all the different factions like outside of the three main ones of mr house Caesar's legion and, and ncr there's a lot of like smaller factions that are really interesting Um, And people who were kind of upset that three retconned a lot really love New Vegas because it had the tone and the lore that Fallout 2 did, from what I've been told. There's a gang called the Kings that are all Elvis impersonators because, like, they found records of Elvis and they, like, worship him in a weird way. So, like, it does feel more like a settlement that has... Existed hundreds and hundreds of years after the bombs have dropped, and they only kind of have a vague sense of like what used to be, right? Which I think is what makes Fallout interesting. Not so much that it's like, oh, we're surviving, but like we've survived for a long time, and now society is something completely different. Um, yeah. Uh, Brian David Gilbert over at Polygon
0: just did a video over the weekend. So he has that series called Unraveled, which I think yeah, we've yeah. talked about on the show before, but he just did one that was um uh fixing i think it was called fixing fallouts most glaring issue or something like that and it's the idea that like throughout all the fallout games there have been um there have been improvements in technology and culture and things like that, but uh everybody just listens to the same music that existed right when the bombs dropped, and nobody has written new music <laughs> since then. <laughs> yeah, and he's the same
1: like, eight songs. Yeah. And he's like, we
0: need to invent like whatever music would have come after the bombs dropped, and people started like repopulating. Um, which, you know, devolves into classic unraveled situations. But like I think is actually a really interesting uh sure. topic of discussion in that case. Cause I I've The music and the radio has always been the most fascinating thing about Fallout to me, Um, specifically when it came to four. I think four was just stellar in terms of music choice and in terms of the way the radio worked. But anyway, moving on.
1: Yeah. So I guess that's probably a good time to move on to four. So I would say like New Vegas is definitely my favorite. Not not like significantly more than three, but I think it had everything I liked about three and more of that basically
0: yeah that Um, seems to be the general consensus amongst people who like the fallout franchise uh yeah new vegas is the high point for most people in terms of in terms of the post one and two era
1: sure i think three has like higher scale set for the a plot so it feels like a grander adventure yeah but new vegas feels more like for people who really want to role play and really want like nuance to the writing and the choices they make like that's the game to play it also is like a little bit more refined like in thought three there's a system called vats where like you're using guns but it is not a shooter like if you if you just play that game without vats it's kind of brutal yeah so you can stop time and then choose like a part of an enemy to focus on it shows you your percentage of hitting it um it reminds me of like Blitzball in the sense like you took a real action sport and made it as nerdy as possible. <laughs> like, that's what Vats is for for that. But I I've, I obviously loved it.
0: Um, yeah, I actually really like the VATS system. I mean, if you're yeah. if you're not gonna um, invest in making like really stellar gunplay, then like Vats is actually a great second option. I yeah.
1: Think. Um, New Vegas is a little bit more polished. Like I remember, that was one of the things I first noticed was that I was like, "Oh, this play is way better." Um, I don't, I don't have to rely on Vats. Vats are just more helpful, but it's, it's like very, very, uh, minute differences there. Yeah. Um, that brings us to Fallout Four. Uh, it's a game we've both talked about, like over time throughout the show. We've never talked about it solely. This is a game. <clears throat> I'll start with what I really liked about it, and overall, I like Fallout Four nowhere near as much as three or new vegas but i do think it's a good game i just think it has a bit of an identity crisis and i'll get into that but in terms of gunplay this there's no contest this one plays the best uh it is actually very fun to play uh in terms of the mechanics um it's you've mentioned this it's oddly beautiful uh, despite being a similar dystopian setting like they really focused on the palette being a lot of like blues and oranges in it like the the way yeah they were very intentional about using
0: blues and reds to draw your attention away from the browns of the actual environment so most buildings are painted with a primary color that'll draw your eye to it uh it's just like a really really brilliant and like it feels subtle until you know about it and then it's like oh my god this is everywhere and it's brilliant um Breath of the Wild, I think, is, is a kind of close example where where they did yes. the very Disney World-esque thing of making it so anywhere you stand, there is some object of interest near you. Um, that's not as true in Fallout 4, so they compensated by like making whatever objects of interest they were putting in the world stand out. Um, so you could find them easily from yeah. wherever close you
1: were. Um, So those are all good things about it. Uh, I also really liked the companions in Fallout 4. Uh, awesome, more so than- good. Like, yeah. somehow that was where it felt like, and this is where I'll get into the identity crisis. It felt like whoever was working on the companions wanted to make a Bioware game, because like <laughs> most of the companions have, the more you have them in with you and the more you invest in them, you get to know their stories. And like, there's a lot of really likable characters with the companions, and it makes the journey feel more interesting. Yeah. Um, I honestly, too, also liked the ability to make a town, but not... 500 towns because <laughs> like there's a point yeah. in Fallout 4 where if you explore enough of the region like every town you're in good standing with lets you build on it and then it's like well I, I can't possibly invest in all of these towns <laughs> then you're you're alerted if they're in danger and it's like yeah this is too much like give me one town to worry about and to take care of and I'll feel right. really proud of that town like the Oasis or not Oasis but there's like a suburban street you find early on with the Minutemen, which are one of the factions.
0: Yeah, the um, the first town. I don't remember the name of it, but like, if <clears throat> I was also excited when I started playing that game, where it's like, wow, I get to build this town into whatever I want. I can do yeah. whatever I want. I can I can knock down all these because it's the town that you start in. It's like it's it's your yes. house um, that that you started in in the beginning of the game before the bombs fell, uh, and you get to like go and turn it into something wonderful. Um, but then like literally, I don't know. One side quest after that, you're given control of a second like kind of farmland that you can also do the same thing with. And then you have to start building trade routes between them. And it's like it just gets so intense that it's like there's a whole second game here. And because there's a whole second game here, that means that like there wasn't as much of a focus on the first game. So both are suffering now. Yes. Like Yeah.
1: Um the other thing too is that. Your your player character has voice acting, which was cool. And and the minute I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm going in with, with tempered expectations of the dialogue options. Cause in mm-hmm. Fall of New Vegas, you can say anything. Um I always bring up the fact and, and in Fallout 3 too, like one of the first antagonists you meet who asks you to blow up Megaton, I, like, flirted with, and then he moved away and sent me love letters for the rest of the game. Like, that is a reality <laughs> that could happen, and i yeah. always made a speech character. That's always been the stat I invest the most in in Fallout is speech. It's a no-brainer. Um, even in Oblivion, there was a bit of that. Skyrim stepped away from it a little, but, like, Fallout has always been, like, a very speech-centric game. Yeah, um, and for, that's the for, thing that people
0: point to with New Vegas a lot. Yes. Which we did mention before, but like that's the thing where yeah. people said if you invested in speech and persuasion and things like that, like you were going to have a completely different experience playing New Vegas than yeah. pretty much anyone else. If you were focusing on combat or really anything,
1: you can talk Caesar's right hand man who's like the most terrifying villain in the game who like wears like a mask is like basically like Fallout Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. With the high enough speech, you can like convince him that his ideologies aren't worth fighting for. Uh, like that's Wild. the level, yeah. That yeah. like it's cool. it's it's amazing, it's really cool. And the fact that, like, so there's something Outer Worlds does too, but the fact that if you had a high enough medicine stat or science stat, those would also give you dialogue options. So maybe you're not you know mm-hmm. silver toned but maybe you just know medicine really well. We're like, wait a minute, I know how to fix this. I'm not going to go into the cave and fight eight mutants to get your medicine, I can actually make this with the supplies you have here because I know what to do. Like, little things like that make your character feel like they have a place in the world. And that's, I think, the mission of any open-world RPG is, like, what is my place here? Do I feel like I'm in this world? Do I feel like I'm part of it? Um, Yeah. And Fallout 4 uh, is a game that, like, Every speech option is asking for more caps. That's like it. Like I, I really am not exaggerating. I played a yeah, lot it of It was game. a huge bummer. <laughs> it is such a disappointment. And even even with my tempered expectations. So that was really a bummer. Um and the the A Pot had some cool moments. Uh there's some cool stuff with the Brotherhood of Steel. Um, but like you were on the rails to find your son. Uh for context, the story of four begins with you living in the 1960s with your family and kind of like a, you know, like Norman Rockwell suburb, you know, like, yeah. like the paintings of like Coke ads and then the bombs drop like actually and that was honestly a brave choice to do because like we've never seen that moment. We've never seen the moment where the bombs drop. Right. Um, you're frozen and you wake up, you know, hundreds of years later and now you're in Fallout 4 <laughs> in Boston this time. Um. And so your, your A plot is I want to find my son. I think he was frozen with you. Oh, that's, you, he's frozen with you and you wake up and someone is, uh, they like unfreeze you to get your son away from you, basically. Um, they, uh, it's, it's
0: your, uh, spouse. Oh, it's your case. spouse. It's
1: your spouse. Yeah. They kill your spouse and they
0: take shot your shot and then they take the kid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an effective thing and that's enough to set you up to at least have an interest in what's going on. But like they're they really do railroad you into constantly asking where Sean is. That's your son's name is Sean. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like a nitpicky thing, but it really does get in the way of who your character is. Like I mentioned in Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, you don't ever have to look for your dad or look for the guy who tried to kill you. And you can put dozens of hours into those games and have just yeah. as fulfilling of an experience. But Fallout 4, you eventually had to look for Sean. And to hear your character like, say out loud like i'm just here for sean is like okay maybe i'm not you know like
0: yeah uh, i it's, extremely it's weird... was not
1: there's a there's yeah. a moment in um <laughs> there there was a harry potter
0: mobile game that came out uh about it maybe it was this year or, or, yeah, last we talked year about or something it. like that oh did we no 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 not not the not the pokemon go one there's another one oh okay um, there, gotcha. there is another um <gasps> there was <laughs> there was this like uh harry potter rpg that was like for the first time you're gonna be able to create your own uh, create yourself and put yourself in Hogwarts. Like, you get to be you and, like, get sorted and, like, go to classes and, like, there, it's an RPG and you're going through Hogwarts and whatever. It's going to be exciting. And uh, I I was, like, so stoked when it came out and I made my character and, like, I picked all my attributes and stuff and I was, like, getting ready to, you know, go to Hogwarts and pick all the stuff out. Uh, but the first thing you have to do is you have to go to Ollivander's shop and Ollivander makes the wands. Um, and, and, you know, a wand has to choose you. And I go and I pick a wand, you know, I I answer a bunch of questions and they hand me a wand and he goes, ah, your disgraced brother also had the same wand. I was like, I don't, what do you mean? I made myself, I don't have a brother. Why is he disgraced? What are you
1: talking about? And, like, f- for those um, less familiar with RPGs, this sounds like we're being very nitpicky, but whenever you play... Like, these games are heavily rooted in D&D, and when you make... When you play these games, when you play in D&D, you want to go in with a character that you've made. And yes. And the DM or the game telling you, like, no, 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 you can't do what you want to do. You have to do... You have to find Sean. That's what's important to you. Yeah. All the games we've mentioned, uh, Three Houses, all of those games. <laughs> Every single one. Just Three Houses. Um... <laughs> Those games respond to what you are genuinely interested in as a player. If you right. never choose to invest in certain characters, they're not going to matter in the story Yeah, to you because it's your story. So I think that's where the Sean stuff gets in the way. Doubled by the fact that the A plot suddenly like it goes from you. Like the whole game could have been about you like being this fish out of water in Fallout, but like you adjust oddly quickly and uh, then the game is all about like the morality of synths and you're like where did this come from there was no seed planted of this game being like Battlestar Galactica moral questioning yeah the whole A-pod I was into it synths. don't
0: get me wrong that I was, was into it too I was way more interested in that than finding Sean but the game really wanted me to find
1: Sean that's what I mean it's as if yeah. like Star Wars began with like Luke looking at the sunset and then he gets the Million Falcon and they're like, okay, so we're good. This is all about F- Wookiee independence. You're like, okay, right. like I'm into this, but like. Off to Kashyyyk. This- <laughs> right. And then, then suddenly the whole game is talking to Wookiees, uh, you know, and like, that's <laughs> fine. I love Wookiees. I love synths, but it's not what was being set up. Um, right. And the three factions are the Brotherhood of Steel, which they want to like destroy all synths. But for the betterment of humanity. Uh, so they're kind of like totalitarians in that way. And that was interesting because Brotherhood of Steel have traditionally been the good guys or the closest thing to it in past games. So the fact that they were kind of the renegade option at four was interesting. The other two were the Minutemen, which were kind of boring, and the Railroad, which I really liked actually. Um, and the Railroad are all about helping synths and, you know, like getting them out of harm's way, uh, and there was a companion named Deacon who I really liked who worked for the, who, the mm-hmm. railroad. Excuse me. Deacon, who worked for the railroad, I liked him a lot as a companion. Um, whenever you talk to him, he goes, tell me what you need. I really liked that. He wore sunglasses. <laughs> Teach. Um, you know what I like. Uh, so... <laughs> But I think the reason I stopped playing 4 is cuz I accidentally allied with the Minutemen and I was like I don't want to commit to building more settlements. This sucks. So I <laughs> stopped playing. Um but yeah, four 4 is a lot going for it. It just you get to a point where like the more time you put into 4, the more empty it feels. And that's a bad sign yeah for a game like this. Um so uh do you have anything to add to that? Uh no, no.
0: I I played uh more I'll, I'll I played more of four than I did of three. I can say that much. Um sure. I, got, I mean, I understand I, why. Honestly, yeah. I got pretty much to the end. Um, I I kind of don't want to spoil. I guess what happens at the end of Fallout Four, but like I got oh, to. Oh
1: God! No, I I got to it too because the twist with Sean is so stupid. I'm sorry. I hated it. It was just yeah, like no, it, it this was not is very it? good. Um, yeah.
0: I got I got to the end uh, and then like pretty much turned it off like before it actually ended. Uh, I was just like, eh, I think I'm out of this. Um, yeah. But like that said, I, I love the Bethesda RPG cookie template, you know, like, but then, you know, they just keep fucking pouring algae into the mold instead of like
1: cookie. Yeah. Dough, you know, and like I, think I they just keep they keep spread. And I think this I think the reason why this is great to bring up before we talk about Outer Worlds is like everything after Fallout 3 has kind of felt other than Skyrim has felt like more spread thin. In every yeah. way, like geographically, gameplay wise, and like you know, I we neither of us have played Fallout seventy six, but like the way they advertise that, they're like this is even bigger than Fallout four, and like it's huge. You can you can bomb your neighbors with nukes. It's like this is not what we're playing this for, you know. Like yeah, no one's playing Fallout for that. The, the pitching of Fallout game that way goes against I think what the core of Fallout is for longtime fans. You know, yeah. the core of it is like a, a very personally defined single player RPG experience. And I'm like I'm not worried about that going away. You know, like I'm not there's no drought of good single player games. I'm not saying that. But you know, like it just Fallout 76 in its advertising was a step away from what people want from the series.
0: Right. Yeah, but both both mechanically and uh thematically, right? Because like Fallout yeah. one and two are like extremely satirical and but like biting takes on the Cold War and and nuclear yes. armament. And like Fallout seventy six is like, wow, you and your friends got a nuke. Nuke somebody, isn't that gonna be great? Like, yeah, no, it completely. It's actually ignores... not. It's actually
1: not. That's like completely horrific and terrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we've actually talked about that before, but like that's exactly. It's 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 missing the mark in so many ways. Yeah. Um, so uh, that brings us to Outer Worlds, made by Obsidian. This is sort of their first. Like, not only is it one of their first original games. But it's independent of Bethesda, very much occupying a similar uh, genre as as Fallout, and we'll get into that after the break. Of like, basically everything it does, just better. <laughs> like every lesson <laughs> to be learned from what we just discussed, they've yeah. zeroed in on and and like completely one hundred and eighty. So uh, we'll get into that after the break because this took a little bit longer than I think we planned. But um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed revisiting this Fallout experience. I hope you did. You're smiling. Yeah, I- I did, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Sick. Let's take a break. I'll see you after. Yeah, cool.
0: Goodbye, everyone. See ya. Talk to you soon. Bye. We are back, and we're talking about Outer Worlds, a game that has been released for many a system, uh, coming soon to the Nintendo Switch, interestingly enough. Yeah, I saw that. You and I did not wait for the Nintendo Switch release. Uh, You got it for PS4, I believe. Yes, Uh, I did. I got it for Xbox One because it is included in Game Pass, uh, a thing I... constantly laud um but yeah i i was able to download it uh day and date weirdly enough uh and not have (laughs) to pay anything extra on top of my game pass subscription which is just incredible um and you have played a lot of it and i've played uh, a little bit of it but uh i think we are strangely enough around the same headspace in terms (laughs) of uh how much we both i think love this game like
1: yeah oh yeah i love it (laughs) it's so good i love it and i can't wait to talk about it for an hour um so uh <laughs> so truth be told i know we just talked about fallout for an hour i i love fallout 3 i love new vegas um but in terms of like rpgs in general like top of my list is obviously like you know the old school Final fantasies three houses obviously um and like mass effect and dragon age like i i, I those to me are above the fallout i only said that because sometimes fallout is like someone's number one rpg mm-hmm. so like the idea of obsidian releasing their own new vegas is about as exciting as you can get so for me i was like okay like i i, I knew it was coming out truth be told i also got to confused the outer wild so like i kind of forgot it was a thing for a bit i didn't know when it was coming out <laughs> but i knew that obsidian was doing their own like take on the genre basically yeah but everything i saw just looked very new vegasy yeah and that's not an insult but it just like looked very much like new vegas and i was like, okay well like hey more new vegas is an inherently good thing if it's just that that will be fun yeah so that was enough for me to pick it up because again i i really liked new vegas the beginning is really strong like the the beginning of this game uh is a very um embarrassing enough i haven't seen back to the future what is the professor's name doc brown you haven't seen back to the future isn't that crazy i've not seen back to the future or firefly those are the two like Things I know I will love that I haven't experienced.
0: Firefly is fine, but you got to watch Back to the Future 1 and 2. And okay. this this isn't like, this isn't me and all your friends telling you you have to watch Game of Thrones because it gets so <laughs> good in season three. This is like, I'm, Hi, my name is Brendan Bigley. The most important movies in my life are the Back to the Future 1 and 2. I owe you right, this. Right under uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but yeah. I've seen Ferris Bueller. That's um, good. Okay. Yeah. I, you have yeah, one I've half Fer- of my
1: personality then bottled yeah. up
0: in your
1: brain <laughs> i owe this to you because you you've done so much for me even on this show in terms of uh i truth be told i've i don't think you ever need to force any media on someone else but there's there's everyone has like one to three pieces where it's like, this is actually part of my soul you know uh-huh. uh yeah. and f of seven is that for me and if back to future is that for you i know what i'm watching baby Ayo. um so doc brown-esque uh character kind of goofy maniacal but kind scientist um unfreezes you from a vault so we already got that similarity going Mm -hmm. and uh basically the setup is that you were on this ship called the hope that was like the brightest minds of of your century that were frozen and sent into space with the hope of like repopulating a colony and making kind of Similar to Bioshock, kind of like this utopia. A rapture-esque, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, the the best of the best. right? There's always a man,
0: there's always a a big ship, there's always a city.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, The the hope
0: is the lighthouse. Is the (laughs) joke, sorry. For those
1: of you who didn't get it. (laughs) We got to that Bioshock, I feel like you're very excited. Um, Yeah,
0: I'm getting really excited about Bioshock again, man. Oh, fuck, those games are good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, moving on, sorry.
1: The first one's good. I mean, we'll get into it,
0: uh, but I think oh, you and I both. Dude, be- you got okay. No, we're we can't get into talking about Bioshock Two, but just, I played yeah. Infinite. I haven't take played Take us two. out. Take
1: us out. Take us out. Take us <laughs> out. I can't. I can't. Tell me more, Brandon. I'm. Uh, you're like a Bioshock. <laughs> I am like oh a Bioshock. You're right. You are like a Bioshock. That that was like my unconscious like zapping me out of the conversation. Um. <laughs> anyway, so back to Outer Worlds. It begins with you being unfrozen. Uh, by this friendly scientist, um, and you exit the hope uh, through an escape pod that unfortunately crashes on the dude who is holding like the beacon. Like he's standing in place of where the escape pod was going to land. He gets crushed, um, and you make your way to his ship that's called the Unreliable. So it starts off with kind of like a goofier sense of humor than any fallout game has ever begun with for example when you make your character and choose their backstory it's all like what what like summer job you had you know it's like Mm uh were you like um and and it's worth saying right off the bat that this game has replaced like the bombs have dropped with corporations run everything and i and and the satire is effective and great uh and i'll get more into that but I just want to say, because we talked about this with The Division 2 um, and and just recently with Fallout, where, like, sometimes games will, will use the aesthetic of social satire but not actually commit to saying anything. Yeah. Um, and not that every game has to say something, but, like, if you're Division 2, as you said it best, it's like, if you're storming... Like it, a game that has that type of setting, you can't back away. And be like, oh, no, no, no. This isn't about politics. It's like, OK, then why would you set it here? You yeah. Know?
0: To to uh, clarify, the game yes. opens with you storming the White House and taking it by force because you have more guns. That's awful. It's like a, That's like it's the beginning I, of the game. And, then, and uh, then Ubisoft is like, this is not uh, this is not political, this game. Like, right. I mean, I was, right. I was
1: about to say it sounds like a Tom Clancy novel. And then I remembered that it is actually it based is off a Tom Clancy yeah, property. Um Um, but you know with outer worlds it's it's like they're pulling no punching punches and i'll get more into that so uh you choose your backstory uh which is like all kind of esoteric and and silly um and you get you get off the ship and you go into a cave and you meet this soldier who's bleeding out and i I mentioned this moment with you but the game begins with a soldier bleeding out and even like As he's, like, about to die, he, like, has to say his, like, corporate jingle to you, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, what a great introduction to the world that, like, in in this galaxy where corporations have, like, exceedingly won and taken over everything. Yeah. Uh, Even someone who's, like, dying. About to die,
0: he he looks at you in the eyes and before he asks you for help or even asks you for anything, he's like, Trust Spacer's Choice for all of your weapon and security needs yeah i shot myself in the rims (laughs) yeah it hits so funny
1: yeah it's great uh it's a really effective moment and like What's really chilling about a lot of it is how if, like how closely it relates to things now. I mean, the the setup of the game is like in an alternate history where McKinley never died. It's like, dude, corporations run everything now. We don't need a setup. <laughs> it's like you can yeah. exaggerate. Like <laughs> it's doesn't need to be a, like it yeah. doesn't need to be a watchman.
0: Nixon's been president for four terms situation. Like that's just yeah. how things are currently, friend.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's why it's so effective because it's like it really does like i mean it's it's done it's done in cartoonish ways like that but it's also done in ways that like really make you examine how you think and and talk about your own life in face of our current society Mm -hmm. you know the fact that like um the fact that a lot of people in this in this world of the outer worlds like don't even realize what what could be you know because they're so conditioned to this way of living yeah you think about how that applies to us and it's like okay like how many of my friends work jobs solely because of the the benefits the health insurance and how rare of a thing is that and how easily that could be provided for more people um yeah. you know and like just just basic human decency that like we're robbed of because of corporate greed and the game like doubles down on that and i think that's so fucking cool like i i i'm glad they did that cuz they could have easily like either just used it as an aesthetic or like made it so cartoonishly black and white that like it wasn't effective but like it doubles down on corporations being bad but it also it also shows like how unfortunately like how they've won so exceedingly already in this galaxy that like the way to defeat them is very unclear you know and that, that's yeah. what i that's what i really like and i'll get into that with examples but I say all that because n- now with the full context of the game, I think the opening of this game is brilliant. But the first couple hours of playing it, I was like, "This feels cool. Like I like, I like the satire. I like the design. Like, um, the the setting feels way more like golden era sci-fi than dystopian. Like you still find like canned food and stuff, but like." It's not. Yeah, the first planet you land on
0: reminds me a lot of um, Pandora in Borderlands One, specifically. Like it's very Western inspired. Um, It it honestly feels like the kind of uh, makeshift, like steel plated housing of Borderlands as well. Um, And and even in its satire, in some instances, it like crosses that line from like from being kind of like smart satire into just being like extremely goofy. Yes in a way that i think is is tastefully done it doesn't feel like borderlands in tone really at all um but but has uh, some visual and, and aesthetic similarities in the beginning which i actually kind of like made me feel a little bit more comfortable with it at first because it was like okay so like i'm just like kind of getting a uh fallout meets borderlands experience um but once i started like really diving into finally upgrading some of my stats a little bit and, like, unlocking different kinds of dialogue options depending on the stats I had chosen. That was when it, like, really clicked for me. Yeah, um, And so, that, for me, I think happened much faster than it did for you. Right, because um, you haven't played as... Yeah, I haven't played as much as you have, but the aesthetic of the game, like, real... The aesthetic and and the tone the and the thematic arc of the game, like, all just, like, sealed and crystallized into this, like, beautiful pearl floating in front of my face, and I just remember... Uh, I, I had to save the game and leave my house for like 15 minutes and I came back and I turned it back on and just like the splash loading screen of an ad for Spacer's Choice while I was waiting for the game to load and just sitting
1: there and like listening to the music, I fully fell in love with it like almost immediately. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I mean, it's a strong opening and I think all that was working for me too. I mean, the thing that I really like is how beautiful the sky is and like, yeah there you is, can see there the rings is and stuff hope like there's something like the ship is called hope but like you can see the beauty of this galaxy both in some of the characters and in the setting you're, like there is something worth fighting for here it's hard to feel that in fallout when it's like you're fighting over a can of beans you know like it's just, yeah like, this yeah is, like, exactly um so but in my first couple hours playing it i'm like this feels like new vegas and that's a great thing But I was really waiting for it to find its own identity because I'm like, this just feels like a like a new and improved new Vegas, which like, again, amazing. Um, The minute it really like I went from like enjoying it to loving it was when I got my ship up and running Mm -hmm. Uh, for context. uh, The first as you escape your as you leave your escape pod and you find your ship, the unreliable, there's an A.I. who's great. Ada runs the ship just incredible yeah reminds me a lot of edie from mass effect but like the classic kind of smart ass ai who insists that they're not self-aware which i think is like my favorite running gag yeah clearly is like she shows the full spectrum of emotion and like Mm -hmm. joke like uh the joke that really made me crack up was i asked her to play my favorite song and with a smirk she played the spacer's choice jingle which you hear like <laughs> you hear like 30 million times despite not wanting to So like she's fantastic so i liked her a lot yeah from the from the get-go that rules um, and you have to find a part to get your ship up and running so you go to the nearest town called edgewater And one of the first characters I met was the Gravedigger, who's like a really disturbing character because he's like, yeah, fully like he's not a bad. He doesn't seem like malicious, but he's just so brainwashed and like. You talk to him and he's like you you ask, like, oh, having marauder trouble? And he's like, Yeah. And then you could be like, Oh, I heard they're cannibals. And he's like, Well, worse, they don't have jobs. They're unemployed. Yeah. He's like, serious. Like that's like the society sees those who are not working for corporations as like less than human.
0: Yeah. Did Um, you did you play out all his dialogue options? Like, did you do everything with him? Because his his whole situation that he was like born and immediately started digging graves and that's been his life the whole time was just like fascinating to me. Like he you ask him how long he's been doing it for and he literally cannot remember not digging graves. Yeah. And it's not even,
1: and like no one has a problem with it. And that's the most disturbing thing. And that's where I started to reflect on, on things in my life and things in my friend's life where it's like, how much do we accept? You know, how much do we think is out of our control? Yeah. Um, And the the truth is in his case, it is. What is, what is raising arms going to do for him? Like, the wilderness is completely uninhabitable. There's dinosaurs running around. Like, he's not going <laughs> to, like, you know. Um, so you go to this town, and, and everyone is kind of like him. Where, like, everyone is, like, amiable enough, but they all say things that are, like, really off. And they all seem kind of, like, completely numb to the, like, the idea of being alive or dead. Like, it's just sort of about being a good employee. And it's really, it's really effective. The fact, yeah. too, that there's something called the plague going on. Uh, and if you're sick, it's a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, you could talk to him and he's like, Oh, I can't believe I shook his hand. I didn't know he was sick. And it's like being as it's as if that's a choice, you know? Like, Yeah. I'm not saying that I have a problem with that, but that's interesting that I don't have a problem with it. What does that say about our situation? Mm-hmm. Um, so the town got me thinking. And then, uh, you eventually meet the boss of the town. Who's this dude with the bowler hat. Who's up to no good. Um, but you also meet Parvati, who is your first companion and she is the first person you meet in that game who's just immediately endearing and is like become one of my favorite characters in a video game i think she's incredible and i'm not alone in that people really really love her um, yeah she's written in a way where she is both like a very innocent and sheltered character but like she's just like a lot of the you can get up to six companions and you ha- can have two with you as you play the game um, and she is like sort of the moral compass. Like she has a really good heart at the same time. She's only lived in Edgewater. So like she only knows that world as well. Yeah. Uh, despite being super insightful and despite you know, she's an engineer. So like her whole job is like knowing how things work and how knowing how to make them better. So even though she's conditioned like a lot of the people in Edgewater, her job inherently allows her to see that things can be better. And that's kind of her morality is always like we should be trying to be as helpful as we can. Yeah. It's great. Uh, I can uh, go on. I'll, I'll t- talk more about her eventually, but yeah,
0: your fir- the first mission, uh, that you have to do. The reason that she joins your party in the first place is because this man in the bowler hat is like, Hey, there's a bunch of people who don't have jobs who have deserted the city. Uh, you know, for some reason or another have left the city and they're all living, uh, out there and like siphoning off our power. Uh, and we need you to go and like reroute that power back to us essentially yeah she kind of like decides to tag along as a way of trying to convince you to find another way to make that work to see if there's some kind of compromise uh at play that that she could help out with as a as an engineer like she could figure yeah. something out um Have you even even that, that whole... simple act of her like saying i'm going to join you and figure out a better less shitty way um i, I thought it was really compelling because your character it seems like ostensibly does not buy into this whole like corporations own everything thing um which raises a lot of questions at least for me so early on in the game about you know where the hope came from and and where my character is from um because yeah. it seems like everything as far as the eye can see is owned by some sort of corporation um yes. so you know why am i completely unattached to that I, I think is an interesting question that i imagine will be answered because this game seems pretty thorough about that stuff But even just her saying, like, this is my little way of standing up to this, I thought was really powerful.
1: It is. And and she's I mean, I think I think the game is written in, you know, in that way for her to be the first, like, ray of light in this kind of hopeless tuna can factory (laughs) town. You know, like that's where everyone works in the in the cannery. Uh, Everyone, you know, for salt tuna. Um, Yeah. So. It's also worth noting that the A plot, the uh, Phineas is the scientist name, who's kind of like Doc Brown. His whole mission is that he wants to unfreeze every frozen colonist on the hope because he thinks that if all those minds are awoken, that that can be the force that takes on the board, which are the like the corporations that run everything. And that can Mm -hmm. be like the hope, literally the hope for the galaxy. Um, Yeah. The brilliant thing is that you don't even have to buy into that. The game very early on lets you turn Phineas into the authorities if you want. Like that's insane to I me. already that was be- given I've played the game for maybe 2 hours. I've been already
0: given that option if I want to.
1: Yeah. And it's and there are even uh companions you recruit later who are like, "Hey, why are you helping this guy like you're, he, it looks like he just kind of woke you up and is making you do his dirty work like you don't owe him anything like yeah you might as well turn him in and get all that money and just live your life Um, and it's worth examining that like you know it's like you don't you, I mean he he seems to be the good guy but like there's a lot of there's a lot of gray which we'll get into in the plot but anyway back to um the moment that sealed the deal for me and the yeah. quest with Parvati. So you meet the other settlement of deserters. They're all cowboys and they're led by this woman who's like, come in, come in. I have a greenhouse. I can feed you fresh fruit grown from my greenhouse. Isn't it great to mm. live here? Yeah. Um, and if the game was less interesting, it would have been that dude in the bowler hat is evil. And that town is full of evil people. And this town is full of good cowboys. And that's the choice. <laughs> but what made it brilliant was that, doing that quest where she's basically she you tell her like hey i was sent here to cut the power and she's like well i also have the part you're looking for you should cut the power to edgewater and redirect it to us Mm -hmm. and you know and then we'll help you out so you go there and you're deciding what to do and and i was leaning towards doing that honestly until parvati says like hey i'm sorry but i really don't think you should cut power to edgewater like i know it seems like that's The right thing to do but like there are good people who are living there most people are just trying to get by most people there are sick and overworked and like this woman just wants to see that town suffer because she wants to punish the guy in charge and like i don't think that's the good thing to do and it it really i was okay this is so much more interesting that like in a weird way the good thing to do is to do what the bad guy told you to do yeah um so i did that i listened to parvati and she was relieved and then i ended up convincing all the deserters to move back but then when i went back to the guy in the bowler hat i killed him <laughs> I, I like literally tried to, i tried to convince him to leave and i couldn't at the time so i attacked him yeah and he was gone and then Parvati's like what did you like i need to leave i'm not adventuring with you anymore and Whoa. I had high enough speech to convince her to stay. But I was like, well, that dude treated you like garbage. Like, he was awful. And she's like, you can't kill my boss because he's mean to me. Like, yeah. do you know what this does to the entire, like, society here? Like, this this is going to fuck up everything. It, earlier on, too, you talked to someone where one of the employees committed suicide. And that, like, had huge financial burdens on the town. It's as if the town committed a crime. Soiling right. Spaces Choice's name. Like, that's how fucked up it is. So, like... Yeah. Thankfully, I was able to convince Provide to stay because I can't imagine the rest of the game without her. She's like the best. Um, but then because he was gone, I was able to tell <laughs> the woman in charge there that you could just move to Edgewater and take it over. And she's like, you are she even said she's like, you're bizarre. Like, I don't even know what to make <laughs> of you because you cut her power and then you killed my old boss. And now I'm in charge. Like, I can't even be happy. Yeah. Um. But at the end of the day, that was the best case scenario because they all got to move back to edgewater and make it their own. So like that was the best end result, but it involved murder.
0: <laughs> so like
1: in that quest, I learned, yeah. okay, there's no like good path, bad path. Like everything is a compromise and navigating a broken system. Mm-hmm. And then I got the part from my ship and then my ship could take off. Parvati joined my crew permanently. Uh, I got to travel to other planets. I got to know her better. I got more crew members. And then suddenly the game plays way more like a Dragon Age or a Mass Effect and less like a Fallout. And then suddenly I was like, Oh my god! I didn't realize how much of this game was about like my crew. And 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 it doesn't have to be. You could you can navigate this whole game by yourself. There are perks that give you like bonus stats if you're without companions. But because I wanted it to be, and because it's available, and there's so much of the game written around it. I mean, you're gonna end up with at least a couple companions, like if not all six. Um, and the game like I think wants you to get all six because there's so much story to be had and they all have their own personal missions that range from like taking hallucinogenics to question your inner faith to like <laughs> texting at a bar about dating insecurities like I, it's just incredible like the the range of quests is so vast and the amount of emotional investment I have put into my crew and to even my own character and the world and how v- different, how many different variables I've, I've taken or how many different paths I've taken to get to the end result I've wanted. And sometimes when I can't get to the end result I want and the heartbreak that follows me having to commit to a decision, even though I don't want to, Mm -hmm. um, it just makes the world feel so alive and it makes my actions feel so important. And I, I just, I love this game. I, for me, it was getting Parvati on my team and the ship taking off, uh, that was when I was like, oh, this game is like now one of my favorite games. <laughs> Suddenly yeah. it just it just completely blew past like New Vegas 2 into like a total world of its own. There's a strong Fallout aesthetic, but I think it has a completely different narrative. I think Fallout largely is about survival. It's about human nature. This game's about, like, it's kind of about right now. It's about like, how do oh, you... extremely, yeah. How do you exist in a world that's, has a chokehold on it by corporations.
0: Yeah. I fr- I forgot which outlet it was, but there was one outlet. Uh, the, the subhead of their review was, uh, outer worlds is a game for those who want to eat the rich, which I was just like, <laughs> yeah, that was enough to sell me on it. Honestly, just, just as you said earlier, just the idea that a video game is coming out that is like, maybe not triple a, I, mean, I would call this maybe a double a game, but it's yeah, like a double a game that is taking an actual stance and like saying something interesting, like all good sci-fi should, um, yes, it, it yes. is. It is making a point in a way that is like entertaining enough that you want to engage with it, which is a thing that happens all too infrequently in games specifically.
1: Yeah. And it's not even pretending to have a clear answer either, which is, you know, right. The, both the most horrifying you could part of that first mission and completely take the side of
0: Edgewater and the clearly evil guy in the bowler hat. You yeah, like there there was a twinge when I was having that conversation with him where I was like, I kind of see where he's coming from, though. I mean, this dude doesn't really know that he's being evil in a way because he's born into this like fucked up structure. Uh, But, you know, inherently and and he's like, he's like like evil.
1: He's a gear above the workers. Like he is not like even near the board, you know, right. Exactly. Like super like he's basically another laborer in terms of like how the corporations see everything. Yeah. So like, yeah. And, he just has that's a fish thin tank, too, is, so he seems important, right? Um, But he <laughs> he's like, and that's what makes him a disturbing character. Is like, he doesn't even have like the Disney villain pretension of being important. He's just like, no, this is my job. Yeah, uh, exactly. And and oddly enough, the the woman who's in charge of the deserters, like, her whole thing is just she she wants revenge. Like that's what she's putting above the well being of the of the people in Edgewater. Yeah. She also uses human bodies as fertilizer. So there's that going on, too. Um, oh, OK, but yeah, uh, so there's some more moral gray stuff happening there. But yeah, man, I think it's I think it's incredible. And I think that that's something that I knew that you were going to respond well to and that I really like is taking a stance when you have a game that's about, you know, what a wasted opportunity if this game is about you know, fighting corporations and it not having an effective take on what's happening right now. Obviously, we are not in dinosaur uh, infested planets and eating, you know, like weird future tuna. But, like, the idea that, like, so many people just. The the idea that most of the routes in this game are like, okay, you can leave, you can live on your own, but you're going to be either in a cult or, like, with, you know, like having to hunt giant dinosaurs on your own. Yeah. Like it, it, the planets are so uninhabitable that you kind of need at least someone protecting you. And like one, one of the later, I won't get too into it because I don't want to spoil it, but um, this is actually something that I streamed and was heartbreaking. Uh, you get to a planet called Monarch that is like the board has actually like dissociated from, they have cut them out of like the, all the corporations have left the planet. So people are kind of screwed. Like yeah. there's one town that is doing okay called Stellar Bay And there's a corporation there called MSI that's run by this guy named Sanjar, who is basically, like, clearly a good-hearted guy, also kind of, you know, conditioned to, like, think corporations are the only way. But his whole thing is, like, I found a legal loophole where we can get back on the board, and if I can get back on the board, I can improve things from within for the planet. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, his goal, but it ultimately involves appeasing the board, who are literally killing the galaxy... and uh and you're not even certain if he can really enact the change that he wants to your other choice is like a cult (laughs) That (laughs) that are heavily armed and want to be free and they have like they seem to like want the best for people but they also want to spread their message and there's like no tolerance any kind of compromise the really nice thing too about having two companions with you is that they will like in Mass Effect. They will voice their opinions on things, and they will often butt into conversations. So, like, yeah. um, Felix is someone you get who's who kind of reminds me of Ryuji, where he's like clearly a good guy, but he doesn't really think things through and always wants to go on head first. His special move is literally doing a drop kick, which rules. Um, um but uh, he's always like when like <laughs> it's kind of funny because whenever I talk to someone, they're like, "Okay, I'm trusting you to sneak and quietly." get this thing from the board and then we can work it out. And Felix is like, Hey boss, I sidle up to him. I hit him with my lacrosse stick. And then we make a run for it. Like, don't say this out loud. Felix. <laughs> um, it's like in persona five and read. He's like, Hey, isn't it cool being Phantom thieves? Just like in public. It's Dude. yeah, Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I love having like, and, and what's great too, is there's a lot of repartee between the party mates. So like there's a lot of incentive to switch people out and see how people are going to get along. Um, I really enjoy that. So yeah, man, I just love this game. I would recommend it to anyone, independent of if you like Fallout or not. Um, I honestly wonder how like a hardcore Fallout fan would like this. I think they would like it. I think if you if you are a strong Fallout fan who likes all the elements that that we brought up, I think you will adore this game. But I think it also has, and that's what I was waiting for initially. Was like, where's the life of this game? Where is its own unique identity? And it has Mm -hmm. totally found it. And honestly, like obsidian and making this game on their own as bethesda just like truth be told this is shitting the bed left and right it's like such a power display yeah every you headline
0: know? about fallout 76 is just digging it deeper and deeper into the dirt unfortunately
1: yeah it reminds me of like when larry david moved on to make curb enthusiasm and jerry seinfeld made b movie like that's kind of what we're dealing with here <laughs> you know where it's like okay yeah. like i'm not saying that Truly, I think Bethesda did add their own merit to the franchise. You know, I oh, think yeah, that like absolutely, yeah. You, um, you can't discount the cultural
0: impact and and the impact on the medium that Fallout and Skyrim and and Oblivion sure. had, right? I mean that 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 style of game is like now so ingrained in everyone that like it went on to inspire yeah. things like Breath of the Wild,
1: right? And that DNA is still here. I mean, I think I think uh, Outer Worlds does a good thing about there are so many planets that have a very distinct flavor to them, but they're fairly small areas, but they don't feel small. And I think that's a lesson to be learned here with games like, uh, you know, no man's sky and fallout four and fallout 76 and all these kind of big open games that their selling point is like, there's a million planets that are all different. It's like, Outer Outerworld has like five planets, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and there are a few different areas on each planet, but like it feels so alive and it does feel like there's a big scope. You know, it, it feels yeah. like a, a vast universe. Like Monarch is like, it almost feels like Monarch feels like the earth before it was habitable. And like, you know, when, when air was mostly, uh, uh nitrogen and salt, sul- yeah. actually that's exactly people. It's like, they breathe in sulfur on, on Monarch and they're, literal bug dinosaurs running around terror 2 feels like earth but like there's still like active volcanoes and like giant gorillas running around and like weird rings of saturn that i really love <laughs> yeah. there's a planet called Scylla that's like just a big asteroid and it feels like you're in space and like just the image of like my priest companion wearing a bowler hat in surrounded by space like this is this is such a weird vibe but i love it it's awesome um, it's so good and the way of even I mean, I'm far into this point, but like there are a lot of little things that keep coming back. So, for example, my companion Ellie, who is the doctor of the crew, who's also a pirate. Um, and what right, I like about of the course. crew of, of six companions is that everyone kind of has their moral alignment. So, like, if you're playing a character that is closer to like more of a chaotic evil or neutral vibe, like you might just bring a character that has less moral reservations with you. Um, one of the squad mates is literally just a robot who wants to clean everything, and that's it. There's nothing else That's going incredible. On. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, and there's even a perk. His name's Sam or their name's Sam. There's even a perk with Sam where uh uh you every time you kill a a enemy in a certain faction, you don't lose as much respect with them. Because they have like a cleaning perk. So it's like he's almost designed to take with you if you're like doing dirty work, oddly enough. Yeah, that's awesome. But um, so I mentioned that I killed the evil dude with the bowler hat in the very beginning on my desk in my captain's quarters. And I did not do this. The game did this for me. There's an obsidian skull on my desk with his hat on it. Oh, wow. and I saw that. And I literally gasped. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Phineas, the main scientist. I met him in his lab and he was behind a panel of bulletproof glass. And I asked him, I was like, why are you behind glass? And he's like, well, I don't want to end up like that guy. Uh, oh man. That rules. Amazing. Um, and the doctor who I mentioned, Ellie, I, she wanted, there was a mission where she wanted to get back at someone. She's, like, I wanted to say something really cool. Like, you know, do this or do that. And I have really high intimidate cause I wear an eye patch. So I have to uh-huh. mirroring Dimitri in that way. Um, but I said a line with intimidate, like, you know, I'm going to collect all of it with interest or something, something like uh-huh. that. She's yeah. like, Oh, that's cool. I'll have to use that next time. So later on, unannounced back on the ship, she was standing with Felix and they were both smoking and talking. And, uh, Ellie was just like, yeah. So then I said like, I want to collect it all with interest. she was like, wow, that's so cool. I got to use that next time. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, just the fact that like a benign line I said in, in passenger companion is now being echoed in the small talk on the ship. Like, right. That's all I need to be like so invested in a game. I think that the ship as a hub world is so cool too. Like it has it has um very much echoes of uh, Mass, Effect Mass Effect and here yeah. of Firefly, which is what I mentioned yeah. earlier. Um, so yeah, it just it feels like kind of a supercut of every big RPG that I've loved in like the past ten years in terms of like Bioware and and Bethesda mixed with really really effective satire that i think is taking on important issues that are happening right now uh so it's just great i just absolutely adore this game
0: yeah it's it's i mean i echo everything you say just knowing that i've only played like two hours of it but um (laughs) i'm really excited to play more honestly i'll have more time to play stuff now um and and i want to dump a lot of time into outer worlds because i was like really blown away by my first two hours um, it yeah. really raises a lot of questions, honestly, about what's going to happen with Starfield, which is the new spacefaring game that Bethesda is working on. Like yeah. it is using the same style of game that that Fallout and Elder Scrolls and now Outer Worlds use. Uh, but it is about like spacefaring and and the way uh, it's been described is not like Star Trek Utopia, which is what I always thought it was going to be. But is more like um, I, I think the way Todd Howard described it in an interview, if I'm not mistaken uh is something along the lines of like it's it's like when uh commercial aircraft were like first invented and like flying wasn't dangerous per se but it definitely wasn't safe you know like it gotcha like you could get from point a to point b but like something might go wrong in the process that's that's how they described space flight in that game Um, which i think says a lot about the tone that they're going to go for if like even just moving from point to point in space could be a a potential like adventure i guess is one way of putting it if you're selling the game but more just like a terror (laughs) i guess is the real way to put it (laughs) right uh because what i what i was excited about with that game when it was first announced based on the trailer they showed uh at e3 i guess it was last summer was the idea of Taking everything that we love about Elder Scrolls and Fallout and putting it in a place uh, that that would have the same hope and optimism of like a Star Trek next generation like that to me yeah. was exactly what I want, wanted and needed. Um, and and the idea that it's going to have like a little bit of a darker twinge to it, I think makes me a little bit more nervous. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just excited to see how they kind of cope with that, uh, especially in the face of outer worlds now existing. Like the fact that yeah. there's another company out there that is much smaller than them that is like, hi, we can do the thing that you're doing better than you.
1: Yeah, it's such it is such a power move. And it honestly feels like the fruition of their philosophy as a team of like, we're going to play around in someone else's world. Yeah. Uh, now, now they've made their own world and it is like doing the thing better. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: The way mentioned- I described this game to you yesterday as soon as I started playing it was uh Outer Worlds is everything that I loved about Fallout and none of the things that I hated. Yeah. And and I I could not mean that more. Like it it is every minute I spend in that world I am floored by and love.
1: Even with the corporate dystopia like all the outfits are like really interesting like um everything has like a very uh um norman rockwell definitely in in a lot of the advertisements but like the the corporate space uniforms look very much like the iron Mm -hmm. giant which kind of adds to the sort of like some of the cold war tinge here um but there's also just like like i i went to the city of like super rich people and the fashion there is just ridiculous and everyone was like really elaborate makeup. And then Mm -hmm. someone, I walked into a uh, clothing store and they're like, Ooh, Oh my God, you're brilliant. Like the irony of wearing like dirty spacer gear in such a beautiful city with a beautiful face. You have to model for me. Like this rules. It feels like that's why even if even in in a place like Edgewater, which is a very disturbing setting, it's still interesting. It's still appealing. Yeah. Uh, If it's not directly aesthetically appealing, it's appealing in the sense that like you could see potential and you could see the hope. Mm hmm. Uh, I think, too, you mentioned earlier of, like, you wanted to put more time into this. I think in addition to the argument that, like, this game does a lot with less space, it also does a lot with less time. This is not an especially long game for the type of game it is. Like, I've put a decent amount of time into it, but I feel like in the A-plot, I'm already nearing the finale. And, like, I can't imagine I played more than maybe, like, 15 hours. So, like, you know, it's it's a moderately paced campaign and it could, it could be as quick as you wanted to be, I think. And your story might be very different. Cause again, you could turn Phineas in three missions into this game, yeah. you know? And then how the story plays out from there, I have no idea. And that's exciting. And that makes it seem like you will probably like three houses, <laughs> put more time to this game because of repeated playthroughs than like one giant, uh, meaty save file.
0: Yeah. Um, there's, so. um, it, it just reminded me of uh in far cry 4 i believe it was uh it, it's the one that takes place in i, I don't think it's india but it, it is like a like an india analog the game opens with you i think you're like going to collect the ashes of your mother who passed away there uh and and you end up uh face to face with the villain he invites you in he he's the one who has hmm. the ashes um, he invites you in and he sits you down and he says a whole bunch of like really horrific shit to you, obviously cause he's a fucking dictator and he's terrible. Sure. Yeah. You know, as, as with all the far cry games. Yeah. But, uh, he gets up and he's like, give me a minute. I'm going to go get the ashes for you. And he gets up and leaves and it just leaves you in, in, uh, this like kind of meeting room by yourself. Uh, and there's like, I think a gun on the table or there's like something that you can do where you can immediately like, all right, you left me by myself. There's no clear objective at that point. Like you can just start the game Um, and you know that he's evil and you know there's like a a resistance force that you can join in the right outside and like you just have to like escape and make it out there. But you could just wait the full minute and then he comes back with your mom's ashes and then the credits roll like the game is over. You could play that game for maybe 15 minutes total if you just hang out and sit tight and the game knows that you won't like it knows that that is such a (laughs) rare choice. Yeah. Yeah but like that kind of inventiveness is the kind of stuff that I've already seen left and right in outer worlds. Yes. That is not present in even other far cry games or even that far cry game outside of that one moment. Like yeah. Yeah. Outer worlds is just filled with that shit.
1: Um, and that reminded and me. And um, yeah, sorry to go off there. That reminded me of uh, uh, the what little, I played a metal gear solid three uh, snake eater. There's a boss called the end. Um, who mm-hmm. is this really old sniper? Uh, he like invented sniping or something like ridiculous. Right. Uh, and <laughs> you you fight him in this like really uh, like thick jungle where there's like tons of like ideal sniping spots where he obviously camouflages himself. Yeah. Um. So you could take him on, you know, like a normal boss where you like out stealth him and get up to where he's hiding out. You can also <laughs> leave the game on for too long and he dies of old age. <laughs> the fact oh that that i God. mean that's that is a very like idio kojima is like famous for kind of like in-game jokes like that but like committing to them yeah um and that's one of the things you can do with him <laughs> yeah isn't that crazy It that is wild yeah um but i think you're right i think like yeah it feels like outer world has planned for the most like esoteric player uh, like activity uh, the fact that like there was so much dialogue around me just like <laughs> br- like just briskly killing the leader of this town because like I didn't want to do his part of the quest, you know, mm-hmm. where he's like, why don't you go to where like, I'm not going to another warehouse. We're going to end this here," <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> right. It was almost more out of impatience than like any kind of vigilance. <laughs> right? And then uh, it, but it like not only was there all this writing, but it felt like a foundational experience for the story yeah really really cool i cannot in, in, in the way that you and i talked
0: about in our bonus episode for fire emblem when we talked about our endings specifically and I, I mentioned that my endings felt so specifically on brand thematically for those characters that like it was wild to believe that other people didn't get those same endings like because yes. they were so so strong and it wrapped everything up so much uh, or, or so well uh outer wilds weirdly is doing or world sorry outer worlds is doing that backwards in a way where like <laughs> yes. literally any action you have is rippling out uh in in an unseen amount of ways that have been planned for in in, a, in such a way where like i am interested to see what happens when i get to that point if i just like yeah like i or if i just keep doing his quest line and i don't know hang out on edgewater forever like who knows <laughs> what's gonna happen <laughs> with me um right but yeah it's cool man. It's yeah. such a good game. And if you have a uh, Game Pass, it's on there, which is wild. And if you don't, um it's on PS4 and PC and coming soon to Switch. I think
1: uh, either later this month or early next month, it'll be on Switch. And honestly, I could see it running fine on Switch because it's not super graphically demanding. No, it's I was pretty, actually really like, surprised. Modestly... I expected it to look a
0: little bit better. And and I don't mean that as an insult at all because the art direction is so strong that like yeah, I'm still like floored by how good it looks. Yeah. But just in terms of like straight fidelity, I guess, if you want to like yeah. get, you know, two thousand and seven IGN about it. Uh not to dunk <laughs> on IGN, but like <laughs>
1: right. uh you know what I mean. And and I realized, too we haven't really talked about the like gameplay at all, but like I think it plays great. I mean I, I've uh I've talked to a couple of friends who were like more into shooters and like they seemed like less impressed by it, but like that's obviously not why you're there. It's not even something we brought up at all talking about it. But in terms of, like, how Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas played with the vats and all that, like, there's a similar feature where you can slow down time. But I actually don't use that as much as I thought I was going to. I, used in I haven't the used it once. What, yeah. I used it in the beginning when I was, like, really ill-equipped. What's cool if you do that is it shows you, like, if you target different parts of the body, different status effects happen. So, like, it could blind enemies or it could, like, mm-hmm. st- uh, it could stun them for a bit. Um, I will say I'm playing this on medium, and I really, like... I went to a quest where I went to Monarch like real early. It's in the stream. I, I get my ass kicked by everything <laughs> until I'm just trying to run from quest to quest. And even though that was like a silly way to play it, like it still worked for me. Like it still felt like, okay, this is my foundational experience of Monarch is just run, just run. And yeah, I'm at a point now, it, similar to Fallout 3, where I feel like the beginning of that game is super rough. The beginning of this game might be rough for you too, but there's a point where like, once you just get enough supplies, you kind of cruise through it, and now I'm, like, untouchable. Like, mm-hmm. now it, it, it plays where, like, it's always fun, and it's always, like, engaging enough, but, like, I don't need to worry about it, which I think is perfect for me. Yeah, totally. There are harder difficulties where, like, your companions have, like, permadeath, and, like, I just don't need that at all in this game. Like, I think the, the combat feels perfect on normal for me, and I, I probably won't put it up or down, honestly.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's worth noting that there is a mode that is easier that's like story mode, kind of like Uncharted adjacent yeah. as well, Uh which and is honestly, I would on.
1: probably, yeah, I would recommend that for most people because like even though I enjoyed the like beginning hurdle, like I think that you're playing this game for everything else. Uh, and, yeah, that was kind of my uh,
0: my outlook on it. I mean, beyond yeah. the fact that like not to get too in the weeds, but like you and I play a lot of video games for this podcast, obviously, and like yes. I can't spend you know, a, a shitload of time fighting one boss over and over and over again. Like I kind of need to play stuff and move on sometimes. Um, outside of that, like I kind of understood pretty much from the onset that this was a game that I was going to be playing for the dialogue and the story more than the combat or anything else. Yeah. So I'm playing it on story mode and uh, loving it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the best. I would highly sure. recommend it. And it just, it's just nice to feel like entering this game with close to like, zero expectations like I, I figured it was going to be fun at the very least why I got it I wasn't gonna spend the money if I didn't think that but yeah I didn't know I would love it this much and I'm so happy I do yeah it's a good game <laughs> that's uh, always how we end things is after like hours of discussion being like I like it a lot goodbye yeah,
0: yeah. Um. I mean it, it is it is good I, I think as evidence uh, or should be evident by the fact that we just did a whole episode on it Um. Yeah. <laughs> which like usually we don't uh
1: yeah yeah it's um <laughs> this is also emblematic of nighttime recordings we're like yeah it's good <sighs> slowly drifting <laughs> yeah, can away can you tell they we're I recording will... at night friends steven sounds tired said <laughs> itunes review one yeah. star uh no i'm kidding outer worlds we both love it a lot uh we talked about it a bunch i would recommend it to honestly like pretty much everyone i think this also feels like a decent intro to this genre uh even if you haven't played like Fallout or any of the older Bethesda games or Bioware games, like I think this feels more like user friendly than like Dragon Age Origins does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd rec- if, if you've ever been interested in this type of game, I think this is actually a pretty good place to start. Um Yeah, probably. I, I would agree with you. Um Weirdly enough, I know we
0: just dunked on it a whole bunch, but I feel like Fallout 4 might actually be a good one as well if if that's kind of your jam. No, but, you're right. Um, Cause that, that is a game that people actually like often complained about, uh, it, it being like too quote unquote dumbed down, which I think is a really dumb thing in itself. I, I, I think that's a stupid complaint, but it is, it is like a simpler game. It's more streamlined than it is dumbed down. You know what, I, what think I
1: mean? I have zero complaints about the gameplay of four. I think it plays easily the best and that's why I played it as much as I did. I think yeah, it's same. I think there's a way to streamline, excuse me, there's a way to streamline all that without sacrificing all the dialogue we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And even like, uh, with, with the voice acted games, like mass effect has notably less dialogue choices than, than dragon age origins does, which didn't have voice acting for the protagonist. But like, it doesn't stand out as being in the way of that game because like, (laughs) I don't think anyone's played mass effect, you know, one or two and be like, I didn't have enough choice. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, uh, you know, Three, you could argue, but um there's a way to have a voice acted protagonist and still have like at least a decent range of of, uh, of possibilities. Though I think this game hammers the fact that like not having that, it, it, you can still get immersed in the character and then all have like way more options. So I think it's an effective tool if you want to have if you want to focus on just like an absurd amount of choices. Not having every line voice acted is probably the way to go. Yeah, I think. Yeah, cool. You want to wrap up? I think I do. I think I do want to wrap up. Sick. I feel good about this. I think we I
0: think this is a game that uh, we will talk about during Godi. Uh whether it's on our list or not. I imagine it will be on our list. But like, I think it's a game that will come up at least and we will revisit and I will have played more by then.
1: And that's coming. Yeah. Up. It honestly just it gets better and better. And I, I just think it's great. Uh, before we wrap up or as we wrap up, I'm going to give a shout out to all our patrons. Oh, yeah, uh, please. Thanks again for all your generosity. It means a lot. Um, Yeah. Oh, just just, actually,
0: it's worth mentioning. uh, Just a thing that happens with podcasts when you release two episodes uh, in a really short time frame, sometimes one of them gets buried under the other one. Uh, I just wanted to like literally in an episode call out. uh, We had two episodes last week. One was on the 30th of October and the next one was on the 31st. Uh, The 31st was our bonus for the month. We wanted to release on Halloween. It was for Bloodborne, um, a game that we both love. There was an episode before that. So just a heads up uh, in case it
1: was possible that you may have missed one. Uh, there. <laughs> oh, and I remembered you triggered my memory. I, me- I remember the last thing I had to say about Outer Worlds for this episode. They say into the Aether a lot. <laughs> 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 <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. They say the Aether and into the Aether. And literally there's a point where Felix, who's like really into the Aether wave, uh, which is like literally the soap operas or like the adventure serials of the world. Awesome. He's like, we should make oh, I, I-, I send it to you. I, I want to make sure it's exact. Let me pull it up real quick. This is probably be the name of the episode, I think.
0: <laughs> Longest TTT of all of our episodes.
1: Astounding Adventures in the Aether. That's what he says. He would name the adventures that you and your crew have had together, which really warmed my heart. Um, That's The fact really that cool. it's also like you know, a bit of vanity there, but like, I'm like, Aether has said seldomly enough that for a game to say it more than five times, yeah. I don't know, something's going on. Um, but more importantly, <laughs> let me call out our patrons. Yes, uh, please. Who are, who are the true stars of the galaxy. Um, thank you very much to Akira, Andrew, Bede, Benjamin D, Benjamin W, Boltz, Brett, Catherine, Christopher, Hilton, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Josh, Cameron, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, No Name, Philip, Scout, and Spencer. Thank you all so much. Um, Yeah,
0: thank you so much for backing. Uh, If you want to do that, you can head over to patreon.com slash into the cast. But even if not, and you're just listening to the show, uh, that still means so much to us. Um, uh, Yeah, for sure. An easy way to help uh, the show grow if you wanted to help the show grow. Uh, It's to just share it with somebody else, you know, if you're into it, just tell somebody else uh, about it. I mean, that that is helpful on our end. Um, But really, we're just like floored and grateful to be able to make this show uh, and to have anyone listen to it at
1: all every week. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm a very emotional guy, very extrovert. I would have to dump these feelings on someone. So, Brenda, thank you for uh, for enduring this (laughs) Uh, and thank you. I'm glad people enjoy listening to it. Um, Yeah. So I mean I have more confidence than that. I don't think it's something to endure. I should rephrase my. Uh,
0: <laughs> Thank you everyone who endures ever. this MP3
1: file every week. <laughs> it's so funny because like when friends do that, when they kind of like backhandedly like insult themselves, like oh thanks for coming, I'm sure it was bad. I'm like no, it's great, you're beautiful, I love you. I wish I could do that for myself, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, day. awareness is the uh, first step to that, Stephen. For sure. I appreciate that. There's a lot of moments like that too in Outer Worlds. I should stop, um, but there there are a lot of insightful moments in the dialogue of some characters that have raised those types of questions. So I love mm. that. Uh, as Brendan said, sharing really helps. Uh, if you feel inclined to do so, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts is also very helpful, um, and even just rating it out of five stars helps out a lot. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we have an account at Into the Cast. Um, our twitch account, which we stream sometimes is also at into the cast. Patreon's at into the cast. If you want to email us it's into the aether podcast at gmail.com that was pre uh, into the cast simplification mm-hmm. um and yeah uh, and, and in terms of email and, and messaging us anything we're always open to uh, taking questions from anyone listening if you want to hear certain topics discussed. we've had a lot of really cool questions brought up in the past about like, just general ideas within games that could range from like, you know, uh, do you struggle finding time to play a game or do you like gravitate? You know, it could really be anything. We, we've we had a lot of a lot of really interesting topics discussed because people have reached out and, and brought up these cool things. So uh, I always enjoy getting those from people. So feel free to send that to us any way you see fit. Yeah. Hard um, same. And I think that's it.
0: Yeah. anything else? Uh thank you to you thank you to AJ our producer uh who who thank you, the A. show and makes it possible um thank you to the flux capacitor which makes time travel
1: possible Thank you to Spacer's choice. Uh, uh, we can't do this. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think my favorite corporation in Outer Worlds is Rizzo's because their theme song is just ba ba ba. It's Rizzo's. That's it. <laughs> that's
0: good. I haven't met them yet, but that's awesome.
1: Because Spacer's choice is it's not the best choice. It's Spacer's choice, but Rizzo's is just ba ba ba. It's like an alarm clock. I love it. Um. um cool. Yeah oh cool. thanks for listening everyone. thank you brenda thank you everyone uh see you in space thank you thank you thank you thank, you thank you thank you thank you so much <laughs> thank you <laughs> I was that an image of us on the screen
0: Garbage dot online.